Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Based on the demonstrated communication with those who live in the spirit world, spiritualism is the science, philosophy, and religion of continuous life, proven by the phenomena of mediumship. Hi. I'm Bishop Heather Shea from the United Palace of Spiritual Arts, here with my co-hosts, Reverend Dr. Jose Roman and Reverend Renee Rossi. On today's episode, we will explore spiritualism with certified psychic medium, intuitive consultant, and ordained spiritualist minister, Reverend Stephen Robinson. Thank you for joining us. I guess... The easiest question, what is spiritualism? How would you define spiritualism? And that's a simple question with a difficult answer. Right. And the reason is that spiritualism is a religion, with a capital S, a religion, that um, has a lot of diversity in terms of spiritual paths, uh, what traditions people bring into spiritualism. And spiritualism is kind of like a rolling religion where... As we grow as a society, as people learn and, and we experience more with uh, our own experiences, our own spiritual experiences, we weave those into what we know about science and philosophy. So it brings all kinds of people together. Fundamentally, we agree on nine principles, which we call the Declaration of Principles. And essentially, um, they're a creed, uh, but they do change. And they change at our national conventions every year. So you may have some modification of some sort. Um, for example, one of our principles is we believe that the human soul lives on after death. And uh, although it's not word exactly like that, um, the word human was taken out about five years ago because of the belief that other um, beings, other species on this planet, also have spirit that is eternal. So they took it out. Now it's just spiritual. And so you just mentioned spirit and soul. What's the difference or similarity? That's a good question. Um, We kind of look at soul kind of like Jung did, uh, in the sense that the soul's purpose is to individualize and to add to the collective and receive from the collective. So it's a circular kind of um, rolling pattern. With the soul, one could say that the soul is your personality, um, who you are at this particular time um, and place. Um, the spirit, on the other hand, is more connected to the infinite. Um, so if we were to diagram it like sort of a, a cone, at the top we would say that the widest section would be spirit, and as we get to the more narrow section, we would say soul, and then when we get to the the point of uh, incarnation, we would say body. So there's a trinity in spiritualism. 
spirit, soul, and body. Thank you. Hope that helps. And Stephen, where does spirit come from? Yeah, well, there's this big manufacturing plant up in the heavens <laughs> to churning out souls. I mean, some people think that. Um, we think from what we've learned from spirit people, and mind you, knowledge is limited only because of frequency. Um, but we've learned that um, we're eternal, which means that not only eternal, the definition of the word is to go all the way back in time and come all the way back around again to the present. So um, when we ask a question like that, it presupposes that there's a beginning and an end to spirit. And in spiritualism, there is no beginning or end to spirit. It's hard for us to conceptualize that because we're taught in other religions, um, it's very linear. Um, there's the beginning, and as it says in the Bible, in the beginning, <laughs> and then it talks about the end days. Um, spiritualism doesn't accept that. Um, obviously, the universe began with the Big Bang, so we can argue that there was a beginning, but that doesn't address the spiritual part of our existence. That only it tells us of our physical part of our existence. Spiritualism believes that... Um, of a, in a biocosmic universe, that there is life everywhere. And um, the universe is so large, the physical universe is so large, um, we have so much to learn about how spirit connects to the universe itself. Um, and what kind of a role does that play in the universe? Um, so when I look out at the universe, I study it, I read, I watch documentaries, um, or go to a lecture, um, or just go outside and look up at the stars. I, I think about how beautiful it is physically, and I also feel the beauty of it on a spiritual level. And it's that dimension of spirituality from which spiritualism and its teachings come from. Stephen, um, you, you said that there's, a, there's this trinity of spirit, soul, and body. Yes. In, in the Hindu faith, there is this belief in Brahma and Atman. Mm -hmm. Brahma is the great spirit, mm -hmm. right? The great soul, mm -hmm. God, if you will. Atma is an element of Brahma, but it is the individual element. Yes. It is, right? Is that the distinction then between spirit and soul that's being made in the spiritualist movement? Um, I think on a surface level, I would agree with that. In, as a spiritualist, um, I think if you get into the, the weightier doctrines on that, I think that we would have to talk about that. But yeah, I think basically that's similar. Are, are all are all spirits um, in individual human beings that were once um, born and, and and had normal human life and then transitioned? Well, we we are earth centric. You know, this is the center of our world, the earth, as human beings. Um, but um, there, there is a, a higher existence uh, to us. Um, so um, I think that the, the soul is, represents a journey for us on Earth. Um, is there life on other planets? Um, statistically, there must be. Um, and is there a spirit connection to those people 
um, or uh, those individuals, yes, there's some kind of spiritual connection. Um, I like to use the analogy of um, fairies, gnomes, um, unicorns, um, things like that. Uh, think about a unicorn. It's a horse with a, with a horn at the end of it. Where do we come up with these things? Um, my thought is um, that if something exists somewhere in the universe, through our intuition, we can attach to that frequency and become very creative and pull things out of that. And so when you ask, or if someone asks, where does a unicorn come from? It comes out of the mind. And where does the mind get its information from? We just make things up. Um, maybe our imagination is inspired by information that we're not aware of consciously in the universe. It's interesting because you seem to be hinting at the fact that we have a connection. We as human beings living in this plane of existence do have a connection to spirit or spirits, and which, again, is, is core to your belief system. Why is it important to communicate with spirits? What's its value? Uh, well, <laughs> there's four major reasons, which I can give you that are the, the party line. And the first is to learn moral lessons from spirit people. And by moral lessons, I don't mean conservative, traditional moral values and things of that sort. But uh, like what kinds of actions have an effect on other people and how does that impact our own spirituality? Um, so we can learn that from the other side. Um, by example, they will say, this is how I live my life, and these are the results of my experience now that I'm on the other side. So we can learn about morality or karma um, and our own spirituality from them. Secondly, they often uh, want to teach us something. They want to share information with us. Um, if I were to go to China right now, I don't know Mandarin. Um, I don't know about the currency. I wouldn't know where to go or how to read signs. So I would want to prepare myself so that when I arrive, I'm prepared. I'm, I'm able to function. And so that's another reason why. They tell us of the, the laws and the structure of the spirit world and how it's arranged so that we kind of have a little bit of a head start when we cross over. And we kind of know what to expect. And that takes a lot of the stress and fear out of dying. So that for that reason... Um, I'll give you an example. Um, one of my parishioners, I was a pastor of a church for 20 years, and one of my parishioners was in the hospital, um, stage four cancer, and he was basically dying. Um, the family called me in, and I went in to visit him. And when I entered the room, before I even saw him in the bed, I noticed up in the upper right corner a vision of a face of a woman with a smile on her. And she gave me the distinct feeling that it was his mother. So I found him in the room and um, we greeted each other and uh, he was in a, a diminished state, but really able to have a conversation. And um, he said, are you feeling anyone here with me? I said, yes, I am. I said, I'm, I'm feeling mother. And he smiled. That's, I'm, I'm a dying man. He smiled and he said, I feel her here too. I see her here too. She's over there. And I thought, great. That's my confirmation. We're both on the same page. We agree with each other. She must be here. Uh, if that's the case. Now, one could argue, well, you know, it's with his wishful thinking, and it's only you know, my desire to comfort him in some way. Um, one could argue that, but I doubt that. I don't think that's a very good argument. Um, another one is that, uh, and this sort of, sort of comes off of what I just said, 
another one is that um, when someone dies, um, human beings tend to want to continue their relationship with the one that they lost. And that's, you know, they go through a grieving process and it's very painful. And invariably what happens, they'll call for a reading. And when the reading comes up, a repetitive theme comes up in every reading. And that is, I'm your mother, I'm your father, I'm dead, but I want to continue my relationship with you. How can we do this? I can visit you in your dreams. You can go to a psychic development class and develop mediumship so that you can receive my thoughts more clearly and understand uh, the difference between your own thought and a thought that comes from the other side. So it's, it's not the same kind of a relationship, but it's a connection. Um, and there's a lot of value in that. Um, the greatest comfort that you can give a person is that they're going to rendezvous with their loved ones when they pass on. Um, and that they, those who are left behind um, have the faith and or knowledge that their loved ones are still with them. So they'll attend a seance. Uh, we call it a message meeting for the purpose of getting a message from one of their loved ones who crossed over. And um, in some ways they feel um, that when they attend a seance, not only are they receiving information from the other side, from their, their loved one, but that because it's such a psychically charged environment that the um, person sitting there in human form feels like they can talk to their loved one and their loved one is hearing them back. So there's a lot of comfort that comes with spirit communication and knowledge. Um, think about uh, if, if you could communicate with someone who had passed away 1,500 years ago. Imagine meeting somebody on the earth, a human being who was 1,500 years old and was completely with it. What kinds of questions would you ask that person? What kind of knowledge, firsthand knowledge, could you get from that person? Uh, going back 1,500 years, uh, there's a lot of value to that. Now, we, we don't have anyone, to our knowledge, that's 1,500 years old who's still alive on this planet. Right. But there are spirit people who are 1,500 years old and older who can communicate with us, and we can learn a great deal from them. Renee, I think you have a question that's related to this. Yeah, yeah Stephen, um, I was hoping you could give some examples of some important truths that we have learned from spirit um, maybe that are widely accepted by spiritualists? Sure. One of the truths is that um, one does not become immediately transformed after death. Uh, that you, you maintain your own personality. Um, and that um, gradually evolves as it, as it would if you had lived on the earth. Um, we go through different developmental stages. So there are different developmental stages in the spirit world as well. Um, sometimes people refer to them as planes of consciousness or planes of spheres of existence. Um, I'm not sure if that answers your question, though. I, I think it does. Or if there's something um, we've learned from spirit that has sort of been a, a foundational part of spiritualism, like truths they have given us that have really... Well, the, yeah, the, the fundamental truth is that there's life after death. I mean, just about every religion... Um, with the exception maybe a few, but just about every religion, it, it, the religion itself explains that there's life after death. It gives hope to people. This is one of the reasons why people gravitate toward religion. It, it makes sense of things that don't make sense to us. It gives us comfort. And especially, it's the issue of life after death. And spiritualism 
offers proof in that through its phenomena, not, not through uh, just reading out of a book or just doing some type of research, which is being done, but through demonstrating uh, mediumship. Um, my grandfather uh, passed away of um, lung cancer, and my grandmother was in the hospital room with him. And I stood at the foot of the bed as they were holding hands as he was dying, and he looked up at me with the most serious look. And this is a man who was Roman Catholic all of his life. And he said, Stephen, you, you really believe in life after death, don't you? Because he knew I was a pastor of the spiritual church. And I looked at him and I called him Pa. I said, no, Pa, I don't, I don't just believe it, I know it. And I wasn't being arrogant, I was just being confident based upon my experiences. So the experiences themselves are something that, you know, no one can take away from you. They're, they're, they're so palpable, it's, it, it, it just can't be taken away. Stephen, is, is the primary belief of spiritualists the belief in spirit? Yes, um, but I would say it's not fundamentally a belief in spirits, plural, but spirit as in the divine. Um, sometimes we refer to the divine as infinite intelligence, because spiritualism um, tries to move away from uh, an anthropomorphic deity um, and really kind of challenges its adherence to expand their concept of God as much as possible. And this is a challenge for a lot of people. My own uh, concept of God, I mean, from the time I started in spiritualism up until today, is constantly being revised um, and, and thought about. Um, I'm um, currently been, been listening to um, atheists, uh, atheistic lectures. And one of the points that they bring up is that if you're a Christian, you believe in the Christian God or the Judeo-Christian God, um, you, um, you're an atheist to all other religions. So you don't believe in Zeus. <laughs> um, so this is why some people say that spiritualists are, are atheists or they don't have a God, which is not true. Uh, our God is... I shouldn't say our God or a God, uh, is not a person on a throne, um, is infinite everywhere, um, breathing, if you will. It's energy, life, and mostly it's love for the universe. So, so to spiritualists, the word God has meaning. There is something, it's pointing to something that's real. Yes. Um, infinite intelligence is the technical term that that's most spiritualists will use. And the purpose of that is to get away from the personalized um, deity. When I say personalized, I mean like human form. Mm -hmm. And help people to understand that, that there's a broader, deeper um, non-entity, if you will, um, that exists throughout the universe. Um, I once attended a spiritualist church when I was a student, and uh, I went with my mentor, who had been the pastor of that church in Springfield, Massachusetts. And there was a student minister uh, that was giving the lecture that day on the platform. And she said, unfortunately, spiritualism doesn't have a personal deity. And I just sat in the pew and I just cringed. And I thought to myself, if I could just tape her mouth up. <laughs> <laughs> I, wanted to, I had that vision in my mind, just taping her mouth up, because that's not true. Uh, spiritualism looks at God as not necessarily individual personality, 
but all personality. And when you take a look at the universe, or even just the, the Earth, the way it's arranged, it looks to me like there's some kind of intelligence behind all this that's operating in this, and that we call God. So, so in spiritualist circles, what is the understanding of the purpose of human life? Ah, well, that deals more with our own individual growth. Um, I think that spiritualism believes in human solidarity. Um, it, it also believes the purposes of life, two main fundamental purposes, to learn and to love. And uh, that's quite a, a big job in and of itself. <laughs> yeah. Um, oftentimes people who have near-death experiences will talk about how when they go into the light, the light asks them questions. And it will ask them, what have you learned so far? And have you loved? And um, usually the person who has a near-death experience will say, well, not enough. And then the light in some way communicates to them, well, it's not your time. You need to go back and finish your job. So it appears that uh, even people, 8, 10 million people at this point who had near-death experiences are telling us these things. There's some value to that. And especially because it's transcultural. I mean, they've done studies in, in um, remote villages in China where the people are illiterate. They don't have Wi-Fi or they don't have computers or cell phones or television sets. Um, and they have the same experiences that we have. It, it, it's a human spiritual phenomenon. And I think that adds to the um, knowledge that there's life after death. Now, one could argue that, okay, well, that's, this is all a function of the brain and the body. It's all neurobiology and, uh, and all that. Well, yeah, I would agree with that. But then there's something beyond that. Um, and that's, that's what spiritualism talks about. So might it be appropriate to say that in spiritualist circles, many hold the proposition that the purpose of life is a kind of evolution into love. Yes, but love in, in, in its broadest sense, and not necessarily being in love with someone, mm -hmm. um, but rather understanding and learning what love is within oneself, um, and then able to express that through kindness or compassion to others. Stephen, I was hoping you could explain what spirit guides are, and um, do you believe in them? Um. My first experience with a spirit guide was when I was 13 years old. And uh, I would come home from school um, and just about every day meditate, um, lie in my bed and just go into a state of meditation. And one day a spirit guide appeared to me. I didn't know what it was. It, was, it was, wasn't a phantom-like person, but it was sort of like a, a, a mental image that was projected onto the wall. And he presented himself in a very high chair and exaggeratedly large frame and said to me, um, and this is when I was in Albany and said to me, someday you're going to go to New York city and you're going to help a lot of people make a name for yourself. What did I know at 13 years old? I didn't know what he was talking about, but it was a prophecy about my own life. Um, and that guide has been with me. I'm going to be 65 next month. That guide has been with me all these years. Um, 
I do believe in spirit guides. I do question people when they say that they have a wolf or an eagle as a spirit guide. Um, I think that those are representative of the qualities or the attributes that the spirit guides represents. So if one's idea of a wolf being perhaps strong uh, or power, then that guide may be uh, emanating that power or uh, letting you know that they're going to be there for you as a power uh, source so that you can rely on them for power when you need it. Um, so there's, there's all different reasons for spirit guides. Now, in, in, in terms of the religion of spiritualism, there is a service, a consecration service that we have for young children. And there's actually four entities involved. There's uh, usually two what we call sponsors or godparents. And then there are, uh, we also ask that spirit guides be um, take on the, the baby or the child uh, for their life to, to help them and guide them along and be with them. So we sort of have spirit guides are like a godparents. However, they're not personal to us because they have a professional relationship with us. So it's sort of like having a relationship with your therapist. Okay, they know how your mind works and they know how to communicate with you and they know how you're going to react to the stimulus that they create for you. And Renee, you also had a question regarding healing and I'd love for you to have the opportunity to ask that question. Yes, Stephen, can you speak to the importance of um, the act of healing and of healers in spiritualism? Yeah, I think healing is essential and this, this really addresses the issue of uh, human suffering, that, that spiritual, one of spiritualism's goal is to relieve human suffering. So we do that through healing, um, and we use uh, what is has become called subtle energy. Uh, this is not heat, it's not light, it's not electromagnetism, and it's not electricity. What is it? Well, we don't know, but we know that it's something. And the American Nurses Association is using the term subtle energy as a scientific phrase. Um, so we use that energy and we manipulate it in the aura or around the person. Sometimes people can be touched and through touch healing, there's a value to that, or just by hovering your hand over a person's physical body. That, that energy can be used by the body itself. It draws it in. I've had experiences where people, um, for example, someone has an ulcer, and I've gone over their aura, and all of a sudden when I get to the area of the stomach, my hand will just fall right into the aura, like it's being drawn in, and the energy is being sucked right from my hand right into that area. Um, the body has an intelligence. It can heal itself. A physician can't heal you. They can facilitate healing. Um, a surgeon can't heal you. They can facilitate healing. But if your body doesn't have the capacity to heal itself, when you go into a recovery room after surgery, you're just going to bleed to death. I'm Bishop Heather Shea of the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. We will return in a minute with Reverend Stephen Robinson. Thank you for listening. We are spiritual beings having a human experience. Welcome to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome back. We now return to our conversation of spiritualism. What's what's an aura? Yeah. Can other people see them? Or, I know some people sometimes say, I see colors around you. Can you explain what that is? Mm-hmm. Um, for about 25 years, Dr. Al Holstrom 
uh, worked with our institute. Um, he was the chair of the Department of Atmospheric Sciences in SUNY, SUNY Albany. And he invented uh, something called the Curlian Motion Picture Camera. And uh, the Curlians were um, a couple. They were farmers and researchers. And they stumbled upon um, a way to um, find uh, disease in plants. Um, in Russia, it was a very difficult time. Back in the 1930s, um, people were still hungry. And so, you know, they had uh, problems growing plants. Anyway, um, they created something called what today is called a Curlian camera. And instead of using light to illuminate an image, they use electricity. So when they opened the shutter of the camera, they didn't let light in. They only let electrons in from electricity, which bounced off the object and created um, an aura around the fingertips that are being photographed. So this is something that we know exists. Uh, the question is, can we see it with our naked eye? And the answer to that is yes. We've done some, some fun research. It's not, nothing published, but it's fun research with Dr. Holstrunk. And we would have a group of students watch or stare at someone on a, at a screen and look at their aura and say, okay, what do you see? And then he would take notes. The person that was, was being observed would go in the other room and they would have a picture of their aura taken through Curlian process. The following week, we'd come back, and we logged all the information, and we were right about 90% of the time, if not all, every time. And that was really objective proof that the aura exists. Not only that, we have, at, at our institute, we have thousands of, of, of Curlian slides of how the aura changes each time we do something, and also how the aura has a basic form like our face, like the expression of our face is just, this is the way it is, okay? But it constantly changes as I speak, as I look around the room, uh, as my mood changes, and then it goes back to its normal shape again. And the aura is the, way, the same way. It seems to have the same form. So we, we had a lot of fun in these classes. In one class um, on the aura, we um, had someone bring a, a jug of wine, and he had a designated driver, so we had him well taken care of. But it's all, for, you know, for research purposes. And we took a picture of his aura before um, drinking, and it was sort of like a pink and blue, a little bit of green in it, and some normal colors, nothing unusual. Um, and then uh, he drank 16 ounces of wine, and he was, not, he was told not to eat dinner before he came to class. So this went right into his system. Uh, so we took a picture of his aura shot, and it showed a lot of red in it. And you could still see the background colors from the original uh, picture, but now the red had shown up. What is that? Okay, we waited about 15 minutes more. He went back in to get his aura shot taken, and this time the red had turned to a muddy brown. <sighs> now we think about alcohol and its effect on the body. They say that it's a stimulant and a depressant. Perhaps what we're photographing with the red is the stimulation that initially comes with alcohol. And then the depressing part that comes after it reaches that peak point may be the brown that we're looking at. Another example, um, a man who's a physician who did the laboratory research also smoked cigarettes. So we took a picture of his aura before and after smoking. Um, again, the before picture was what normally shows up in a person, pink, blue, uh, you know, pastel kinds of colors. And he came back in after his cigarette, and we took a picture of his aura. And um, 
Dr. Hallstrop called me back into his um, into the room where he was doing the photographing, and he said, um, he said, I want you to see something. And he showed me the slide of his aura, and it looked brown with reddish, um, not quite red, more like a, a, a burgundy color, dots around it. And he said, usually we see this in people that have cancer. I said, oh, well, I don't think, I don't think we, we need to tell him that. That's, that, you know, um, he's a doctor, and uh, I, I just didn't feel like it was the right thing to, to do. I don't regret it. Um, but he died three months later of lung cancer. He was undiagnosed. And apparently he didn't have enough symptoms. So that was back probably at about 1980. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the aura exists. Um, and the question is, are we able to see it? And I, I do believe that we are able to see it. I remember my very first time seeing it. Um, I was in a, I, I was getting a part-time job, and it was at Sears. And I was probably about 18, 19 years old. And the woman who was speaking, she was speaking on a microphone and she was lecturing in front of all of us. And she was about 20 feet away. And as I looked at her with the blue background, I could see her entire aura. Just like the aura that you see in, uh, the, that's in the illustration of Our Lady of Guadalupe. Concentric circles. And then rays of light coming out. It was amazing. And she was just an ordinary woman just teaching in Sears. Uh, doing corporate training. She wasn't a god or a deity or anything. So I think that there's a lot more to who we are than what we see in the mirror. That was a long answer, sorry. Great, great answer. <laughs> Back to you. Absolutely. Stephen, um, this all raises, because we're doing this exploration together, what ra- it raises a question for me uh, about how you got involved in spiritualism. Um, I would say, first of all, I was brought up in a home that was very favorable toward spiritualism, unlike many homes back then. I remember uh, sitting at the breakfast table at 10 years old and my parents talking about um, the experience they had the night before. And my mother said there was a woman in the bedroom when she woke up in the middle of the night and she was dressed in a, a wedding dress that looks like it was from the 1860s. My father said, that's unusual, because I had a dream last night I was a Civil War soldier in my past life. I'm 10 years old listening to this, and this is like normal behavior. This is like normal to me. It wasn't until I started to express myself more in school about these things that I realized how much ignorance there was out there. Um, Not bad ignorance, but just, and and also um, hatred uh, toward people who were spiritualists. I mean, we were called evil, uh, working with the devil, um, uh, hard, they say horrible things, or they did. Uh, it's not like that anymore, thank God. You also call yourself Air clairvoyant. Um, is that the same um, as being a spiritualist, or what is their clairvoyant? Yeah, not every spiritualist is clairvoyant. Um, but a clairvoyance literally means to see beyond. Um, your physical sight. It's, it's a, it, I sort of see it as an augmentation of my sight. My, where my physical sight leaves off, then I'll go inward to see what kind of visions I can see. Um, and that can give me information. So uh, clairvoyance is just something, it, it's, it's a way of visualizing. Um, and it can be in your mind's eye, or it can sometimes and rarely be seen as a projection of what's in your mind in the environment. So you get a, a contextual understanding of what it is that you're receiving. 
Are are psychics and mediums the same thing? No, no. Um, A psychic is one whose um, energy um, is able to read mundane things on the earth. For example, a psychic can say, I see you getting a promotion in six months. I see you having a baby in 10 years. I'm making predictions about your future, and about your life, and also going retrospectively into your life. I see that you've done whatever. Um, so it's mainly about their life on the earth, their journey. Um, a medium is um, more connected to a spirit and relaying what that spirit is saying. Okay. Um, Example, I had a woman that came to me for a reading a number of years ago. She had an Irish surname. And she asked me if her wedding would go well. She was engaged and she was to be married in a couple of weeks. If the, how the wedding would go. As a physical person, I thought, I don't know. So I closed my eyes and, and tapped into my clairvoyance. And all of a sudden I saw a man and uh, he said, I'm her father. And I've just come back from her wedding. And then he held his hand out like this to show me what the wedding looked like. And there was her and her fiancé standing on a platform with a chuppah over the top of it. I thought, she's Irish. She must be Catholic or Protestant. Why is there a chuppah in this wedding? And the father didn't answer me. He just smiled at me as if to say, you're going to find out in a minute. So I told him my whole vision. I said, "Um, he told me that he's already been to your wedding. And he's come back to the present to tell you what it's like. And he showed me a hoopa, and I don't understand it because you have an Irish surname. Oh, she said, well, my husband, my future husband, is Jewish. And she said, I've just converted, and so we're having a Jewish ceremony. So his prediction, when he said to me, you'll find out, I found out when I told her. Now, I, I, take, I, I walk away from an experience like that really, really enriched and... Try to let other people know that they can do that too. Life starts to change when 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 uh, when you have these experiences. Say say a little bit more about that, and talk a little bit more about being a medium. Like like you, when I was very young, I was always accepted that I saw things that my family saw things. And uh, I think as Jose mentioned uh, earlier, may not, but Renee and I are both students students of yours, and and this can be developed, but. But is everybody a medium? Or if I think I'm a medium, how do I develop that? And, and what's really involved? And, and are some people better mediums than others? Or how, how does that all work? Mediumship, um, just communication with the dead, mediumship is um, something that can be trained. Um, now, of course, it, it's a skill. So it requires practice, as any skill does. It's just like playing the piano. Um, the more you play, the more you practice, the better at it you get. Um, I tell my students, they, they always, um, you know, they, they, they revere my mediumship. Like, oh, this guy is so mediumistic. And I try to tell them, look, you're just as mediumistic as I am. It's just that I've been playing the piano longer than you have. I've had more practice at this. Give yourself more time, it'll happen. And so what we do is we inject exercises that target certain psychic and mediumistic faculties so that you can develop them as a skill. And we do that progressively over a nine-month period of time. And within nine months, uh, we can train someone to give um, to, to give a private reading, a one-on-one private reading to another person. There is, a, there is a scientific part of this, too, that I'm intrigued with, and that is brain research. Um, it looks like we're hardwired to be mediums and psychics. Um, years ago, they did work with the right temporal lobe, and they uh, stimulated this. And when they did, they could artificially create through this 
um, near-death experiences, and telepathy. So uh, there's some, you know, how science works, you know, when you'll... One group will do a research study, publish it, and then another group tries to disprove it, and they go back and forth on this. But there, I've been reading literature, and it looks like there's some type of brain activity uh, that occurs. The brain changes when someone is communicating with spirits. And so now that we're able to um, illuminate the brain, we can see those changes. Um, you could argue, well, it's the mediumship or the exercise of that state of mind that's causing that a change in the brain, or is it the change in the brain that's causing that? Um, we don't know. As with any subject, the, the more you delve into it, the more questions you have than answers. If somebody is sort of coming into this, so that well, you know, Stephen said I, I, I'm probably a medium because we have these skills. Uh, people ask me sometimes, you know, I, I think I see my mother. Could that really be it? Or I see her in a dream. How do how do spirits? As, as you're developing this skill, how can you start to know if you really have any connection? Good question. Um, well, let's just think about the difference between your own personal thought that just comes up out of your mind normally and a thought that we could call a psychic impression, meaning that it's coming from outside somewhere. Uh, maybe it's an impression that you're getting from your environment. Maybe it's an impression you're getting from a spirit. Some characteristics of those impressions are that Let's say you're watching the game on TV or you're really into a book and your mind is really intensely uh, active. And all of a sudden, out of the blue, in the middle of that, interrupting your normal train of thought is the thought of a spirit loved one. And then you stop, and in, in, in the mind, you stop and think, what was that? Why did I think about that all of a sudden? And then you check your environment. Is there anything around me that would stimulate that thought or remind me of that person? And you answer the question, it's no. Well, then you could probably conclude that that's a spirit trying to communicate with you. And they will come through to us when our mind is um, the quietest. In meditation, in the deepest form of meditation or trance. Um, especially in, when we sleep. And the way you can tell the difference between a dream and a visitation during sleep is a dream you're kind of participating in the dream or you might be witnessing the dream um you might not remember it it might not be that eventful to you or that memorable on the other hand a visitation is something that's almost as good as a lucid dream and you wake up in the dream you feel a lot of emotion usually there's a lot of love there's a lot of connection with that other person um when you wake up that feeling continues to stay with you as if you had actually gone to their home and they gave you a big hug, and you felt that love, and when you got home, you still felt it afterward. That's a visitation in a dream. Wonderful. That's, that's very helpful. To say a little bit, too, because I know that sometimes I will um, kind of see my mother, but sometimes I'll actually smell her or hear her. What are the different ways that the spirit might come to me or someone? Um, well, parapsychologists, who are the people who do the research on mediums and psychics, uh, generally um, match uh, the psychic senses with our physical senses. So they'll say for every physical sense you have, for example, for vision, you have clairvoyance. Uh, for um, hearing, you have clairaudience. Um, so there's different channels or different senses. So when you say you can smell a spirit, um, 
they sometimes will give us smells as ways to identify themselves. My grandmother, for example, I loved her dearly. And um, she would be doing things, and I would just hang out with her. I, I, lo- I just loved hanging out with her. She had really good energy. And sometimes she comes to me, and I know it's her, and only her, because I remember growing up, she used to smoke Winston cigarettes and wear Lily of the Valley perfume. And the combination of the smell was so unique, it's unforgettable, for me anyway. Um, so whenever I get that smell, I know she's with me. So sometimes they'll use any means possible to get you to know who they are. And if your mind is open enough to receive and it's trained to, to get those subtle cues and then interpret them, then you've got a communication going and possibly a relationship. Now, this isn't the kind of relationship that someone who's experiencing severe psychosis has. This is non-pathological. Um, there's a man that walks up and down, my young man, probably in his 20s, that very loudly is having an argument with someone. And he's not using any... Uh, earbuds or phone or anything else. He's just talking to someone he's imagining. That's not what we do. This is a, this is a very, very healthy form of communication. We, in, in this conversation, we've, we've used three words. We've used the word clairvoyant, psychic, medium, and we've explored these. I know that you teach intuition, the use of intuition. And I'm, I, I've, I've asked myself as I explored, frankly, and, and did research on you, I kept asking myself, what is the relationship, if any, of intuition to these other gifts of clairvoyance, psychic, mediumship? Um, is there a relationship between intuition and these gifts? Um, the intuition is about feelings. So it is part of mediumship. So, for example, if the spirit comes into um, an environment and the medium starts to pick up on them, um, the intuition are the feelings that they're getting from the spirit that they can communicate to the recipient of the message. Um, Lay people who are not spiritual, say, for example, um, we all have intuition, and we probably use it without even being conscious of it. But intuition leads us in, leads us with our feelings. Um, so it speaks to feelings. So I think that's, that's, the, uh, that's why psychics and mediums often will use the word intuitive. We have one man who's certified through us, and he calls himself an intuitive medium instead of a psychic medium. So he's using the word interchangeably with psychic. Um, but I would say that it's part of the psychic um, feelings that we get. And we don't always know where they're coming from. Um, Sometimes intuition can be confusing. Um, Years ago, back in the uh, 1990s, um, Psychology Today um, had an article in it, and it was about intuition. And it was um, written, it was based on a study um, that was conducted by a psychiatrist and a psychologist and their team. And they developed a test They called it the IQ test, the intuition quotient. And they said it was a valid test. And they actually put the test in the magazine itself so that you could take it and see how intuitive you were. That was in 1990, 30 years ago. Right? (laughs) What year is this? (laughs) It's really interesting because I, I, I... 
you, you're obviously kind of inviting us, it seems to me, to consider the possibility that there are aspects to our consciousness that we don't always explore and that's available to all of us. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt that maybe there are some folks who have more gifts in those areas than others, like mathematics, for example, right? Mm-hmm. I was able to do math all the way up to advanced calculus. Okay. Nevertheless, I will never be uh, an Albert Einstein who literally was able to see and experience the world mathematically. So there are people, all of us can do some level of mathematics. In fact, all of us can be trained to do very high levels of mathematics. Mm-hmm. Some of us have more gifts in it than others. Is it possible, is it possible that all of these gifts you're, you're speaking to, that we have some access to them? Some have more, others have a little less, but we all have access to them. Yes, the access is dependent upon your brain, your mind, uh, your conditioning, uh, your environment. Uh, a lot of things have impact on that. Yeah, uh, that's one of my greatest challenges as, as a teacher in a, a psychic development class is to help people to overcome the negative conditioning that they have about this. They desire it, they want it so badly, and yet they're subconscious mind is saying, no, this isn't right, this isn't good. And I try to do little exercises where it draws some of those thoughts that they have about this that are negative out. So they hear themselves saying it. And we talk about that. So um, it helps. It helps. And Stephen, talk that briefly because I think that's important uh, when I've worked with people. They're, you know, they're kind of afraid. And so, you know, Hollywood has made it very scary. And there's, you know, all this that scary stuff. Um, but I don't find it frightening. And how do you help people see that it really isn't something to be afraid of? Um, I, I ask people to uh, come to a seance or a message circle. And um, it's the easiest way. It's the most inexpensive way to get a little taste of it. And um, if they're afraid, I, I say to them, well, sit next to me. There's 25 people in the room. Just sit right here next to me. Uh, and they feel more comfortable. They think, well, this guy knows what he's doing, so I might as well sit here. Um, so sometimes just doing that in, in terms of where you put a person in a room. In terms of communicating with them, um, I find the underlying um, issue that most people have that is an obstruction is the fear of losing one's mind. Um, I've never realized that there was such a fear until I got into this work um, that people are afraid of, of, of losing their mind. Like, uh, you know, we hear about Alzheimer's and all sorts of mental illness. And so they think, well, you know, if I'm seeing something that's not, not there, I must be crazy. And this is, a, this is a downward spiral to losing my own mind. And actually, the opposite is true. You're exercising your mind more. You're, you're, you're making yourself stronger on that level. And you're empowering yourself on multi-levels. So there, there is definitely nothing to be afraid of. Um, some people come in with, uh, with some uh, ideas that are not a part of spiritualism, such as uh, the idea of curses, um, evil spirits. Um, we don't touch on any of that. We, we believe that there's a law of attraction. And so if one aspires to grow and to develop and achieve higher states of consciousness, you're not going to attract anything negative to you. You're going to attract something to you or someone or a spirit or a spirit guide to you that will want to help you to reach your aspirations and grow. 
And as a, as a consequence, they grow on the other side because it's sort of like the old story of the angel earning his wings. By helping someone here, they move on and they work on their karma there. Which brings me to a uh, concept in spiritualism, and that is the doorway to reformation is never closed against any human soul here or hereafter, which basically states that you don't have to you don't have to make everything right all right before you're dead. You have all of eternity to work on it on the other side. It, your, 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 your karma, you take it with you wherever you go. It's like that little character in the Peanuts uh, uh, story, Pigpen. Remember the little cloud he took him with him wherever he went? That's our karma. <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be a bad cloud, but it's our karma. So in our churches, we encourage people to bank good karma. You know, do, do some good things on this, on the, in this life. And it will come back to you in this life as well as in the next life. So, Stephen, you've explained how spiritualism is a religion, but could it also be considered a philosophy or a spirituality? Well, um, in the early days of spiritualism, and we're looking at the 1850s um, up to probably the 1930s, um, spiritualism was called a science. Um, the reason being that um, there were countless seances that were being held around the country. And scientists were seeing people react very emotionally to this because they were connecting with dead loved ones. So they thought, this has got to be fraud. So they would attend the seances in an effort to prove them wrong, only to become followers themselves. So some of the most famous people out there um, are convinced, were convinced spiritualists. So spiritualism was a science to begin with. You've been listening to our series, Open Heart Conversations, offering dialogues from the world's religions and spiritual traditions, recorded here at the United Palace of Spiritual Arts. Please visit us in Manhattan or online at upspiritualarts.org. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology, available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.